Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Hello, today I'm so excited to introduce you to my, I hate to say old friend Colleen because that makes us sound old, but I knew her when. Uh, Colleen Swindall Thompson. I was her cheerleader coach, I believe, back in the day. Colleen, welcome to the show, Living a Legacy Life. Yeah, thank you. It's so good to be with you. Oh, great. And I won't tell tell everybody our ages, but um, I, are you the youngest of the Swindall kids? Oh, I have a younger brother. Oh, He's three right. years younger. Three years younger. So third or fourth. And I was not your English teacher, I don't think. because I, no, I was your Bra- manager coach. It's your coach, yeah, which is very funny because I'm totally uncoordinated. I'm but still they, trying to do cartwheels, but they don't work. And Tiffany keeps telling me to stop because I'm going to break my neck. Uh, but yeah. I can't break it because it's screwed on. Yeah, I was, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. Colleen Swindall Thompson lives in the Dallas area, I believe, Dallas, Texas area. And she is uh, an author of these great titles. I love a great title. I rarely read a book, but I love the titles because I can get through them. But listen to these titles, Reframing Life, Focusing on God When Life Gets Sideways, and When Life Isn't Fair. Everybody needs to read that book. And When Life Isn't Fair, What They Didn't Tell You in Sunday School. And also Colleen is the founder of Reframing Ministries and the mother of five adult children. There you go. That's your credibility right there, the mother of five adult children. Welcome, Colleen. I wanted to start with this. You had a lot of Sunday school as a child of Pastor Swindoll. And um, by the way, how does that make you feel to be called a Swindoll? I'm so honored. I am so honored because my dad has lived a life. My mom and dad both have a life and a legacy that they have passed on that is rarely, rarely found today. Yeah, it is so true. I loved his preaching when I lived in the area and it was fun uh, teaching his kids. I felt it was an honor as well. But you know what? You're just normal people, right? Depending on the Lord. Yeah, there's really no fame uh, except for Jesus. So it's just that God allows a bigger audience, I think, when he really wants something to be said. So praise the Lord for your folks and for you. Um, You had a lot of Sunday school. What are some things that were left out of the curriculum, you think? Well, I think it's all the things that we don't like to talk about as Christians and as believers. It's the stuff that doesn't um, sell well, which is the that life, as James talks about in the New Testament, as First Peter talks about, that you are going to suffer. It's not a matter of if you're going to suffer, but you will suffer. Mm-hmm. And what does suffering look like? And how do we suffer well, as Paul talks about in Philippians? So I learned the cognitive and the head knowledge of so much of the Bible that I fall back on all the time. The um, Romans 12, one and two, when we have to take every thought captive, do not live by this world, but by taking every thought captive that I think combining that with the emotional part that you may feel a certain way as a Christian, 
but God's word says this. So I feel like if I do my part and God is supposed to do his part, then everything's going to end up like a formula. And that is, I, not I agree. I agree with that, Colleen. And, uh, and yet I am thinking that when you're a child, when I was a child, if so, a Sunday school teacher would have said, by the way, Sue, you're going to suffer a lot. And so just get ready for it. There is a balance. Of course, a child can't, you know, we grow up through our suffering. There's really no better way to grow up, but I would never ask for it. And, and I'm sure that's the same for you as well. I think part of that is just maturation and, but leaning into God rather than pulling away. And that's something maybe we can't even teach a child in Sunday school, but we certainly can tell them that it's, you're not entitled to a great life with no suffering. I think that's the part that we missed out on, don't you think? Yes. And I also think that we model that. So, so much of your work is on legacy. Mm -hmm. And I think legacy happens not when we're gone. It happens every single day of there our we life. Go. Why do you think I ask you to be on this show? That's exactly what we talk about. You don't, don't wait know, till you're just what I'm learning. Yeah. Well, it's what we're learning, but it's, it's so true. And it's not something that we uh, wait for and say, oh, well, I hope my daughter learned this. It's what we're doing now. So they do learn it. And uh, when my kids gave me a 70th birthday party, they said these wonderful things about me. And I told my my pastor who was there, I said, now, when I die, I don't really need a, a, a funeral. Just put my kids' PowerPoints up and serve champagne and cake and I'll be fine. But of course, you know, within two weeks, they were mad at me. So it's not like we're perfect parents. We just do, we lean into God when we suffer and they watch us do that. You, uh, Your life prepared you for your ministry of reframing ministries. Tell us why you started this and by doing so tell us the progress of really the suffering that you have endured uh to make you want to do it because it's i love that verse you mentioned which was you have mentioned it to the audience but i read about it i think it's second corinthians one that we receive comfort from christ and in so doing we know how to give it off to somebody else and it's not like you have to we have to um experience the the same suffering as everybody but we do experience some suffering so tell us your story and how you got wanted to start this uh, ministry that has uh, helped to so many? Well, I think um, God's way of our direction is very, very different from how we plan our own path, which again, Isaiah tells us his ways are not our ways. And so we need to expect, first of all, that what we plan is great, but what God plans and has planned for us is even greater that we cannot see it in any given moment. At the time. Yes. So I married at 23 and then had my first daughter at 25. Then I had a son at 27 and then had another son at age 30. Um, by that point, we've moved a ton of times. Uh, How many times? 11 times in nine years. Oh my goodness. It That's stressful. Different. Yes. And then, um, and again, Sue, I'm going to say I was raised to think that if I was doing my part, it, it was a very formulated thing. If I do my part and do, I'm in my Bible study and I'm following God's word and I'm, you know, kind of following rules with mm -hmm. grace, so to speak. Yeah. Um, then, then the abundant life is going to just unfold. And I was very uh, blessed to have parents who God put called into ministry and God worked through my folks and continues to. So there wasn't a lot of challenges that I saw growing up. 
Then I hit my own challenges with my youngest being born with uh, immune system disorders, illnesses repeatedly. Two of my three kids have learning disabilities and challenges. So I was in and out of school meetings constantly. Uh, Jonathan, my youngest, was diagnosed with autism, immune disorder, and intellectual disability at age three, then diagnosed with far more things uh, and regression at age seven. So mm -hmm. through the time of age 20, I would say like 29, 30 to age 37, there was a whole lot of undoing that God allowed in my own life. Uh, my daughter was suicidal and self-harming. When she was in junior high, my son uh, basically didn't know who he was as an individual, as I saw growing up in the developmental years. And then my youngest, of course, had just near death, always sick, challenges, bullied in, high, in uh, elementary school because of his differences. So the plan that I had by doing what God what I thought the word had said, like, I'm going to follow your ways. I'm going to trust that you know where you're leading and, and do what's right. The home front was a very different picture behind closed doors. Colleen, let me ask you this. Do you, do you believe that God works with formulas? Like if you do this, then this will happen. Because <laughs> he does um, talk about blessing. He does talk about blessing. It's kind of a Absolutely. But I think that our human definition of that is so limited oh, yeah. and so finite <laughs> compared to his grandeur. Like, yes, he created the stars. Can I think about the galaxies after galaxies of stars? I can't even begin to imagine that. So mm -hmm. does he have a formula? He has a plan and he has a good plan. And that good plan involves refining of my soul. Do I like refinement? Do I like the fiery ordeals that first Peter talks about? No, I don't prefer them. They hurt. Mm -hmm. But do I, am I thankful I'm not the mom today that I was 30 years ago? Hmm. Heaven forbid if I was. <laughs> I'm so thankful that I'm not. But don't you think that you would not have, well, of course, we all know that, that unless we had these sufferings that we, you have, I mean, you've just barely touched on your sufferings, but that's who, that's what refines us into the character of God. So maybe before reframing, we need to be refined. I'm sure you talk about I think about refining goes on and on and on. I think yes. it happens whether we know it or not. It just depends on how open we are. It depends on the mentality that we bring into our circumstances. Explain that. So I can look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Okay. I can trust in the Lord with all of my heart. Is my heart fully surrendered or is my heart kind of surrendered? I know what it's like today to drive away from a house with three kids in a car with their animals, no bank account, locked out of bank accounts, and not know where we're going to stay that night. I had no idea trusting in the Lord with all my heart involved or would involve leaving everything because the home was so unsafe that we had to flee. So this That's is when kind of surrender. And, and, and as a good Christian girl, quote unquote, you were taught you, you leave and cleave. You you right. cleave to your husband, who's a Christian in seminary, trying to be a pastor, 
And yet you are beginning to realize that this is unsafe for you and for your children. That must have taken, I don't think that happens overnight. I'm sure it doesn't. But what made it, what was your, um, there are people listening who are in this situation. And um, what was the turning point where you realized I've got to get in the car with the kids and their animals and just leave? It doesn't matter where I go. What was that turning point for you? Can you describe it in some sort of way that would be helpful? So the turning point was um, um, it evolved in some ways, uh, but I had been in counseling for several years. I was always, I've always pursued counseling because I think there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors planned, I mean, chosen wisely, mm-hmm. but having been in counseling and grown my own voice and started to recognize the um, incongruence of the home and of what was taught in the home <laughs> and the behaviors of the home, then um, having a partner who chose not to pursue the things that would bring us together behind closed doors. Again, what is said outside of the home is often very different than what is said inside of the home. Mm-hmm. So I want to be very careful here uh, in how I'm speaking to anyone who is in a domestically difficult situation, but it was actually Jonathan's doctor who called in a social worker. Mm. And she said, and he actually wrote the court and said, um, she has got to have a safe place and where she's at now is not a safe place. Wow. And I was asked to speak with a social worker and to speak with uh, a, a person, an advocate, but I said, I'm too afraid to make that phone call. So I actually didn't. The doctor did hmm. because Jonathan's issues were so severe. And oftentimes when we are in the darkest of dark places, our perspective is not going to be um, strong. So I had been meeting actually with my older brother and his wife hmm. for several months who had helped me think differently and reflect differently on how do I feel and how do I think about the situation? I also noticed that my doctor had, that my daughter had some uh, wounds on her arm. And mm-hmm. I asked her what those were. And she said, mom, I'm cutting. And mm-hmm. I have been cutting for over a year. When that was brought up in a conversation with her father at the time, the response was very severe. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is not going to, I've dedicated my kids to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this in the 23 minute reframing ministries documentary that I would really encourage anyone in this position to watch. We will post it in the notes. It is um, my, actually my son put it together. He said, mom, I think people need to see this, especially in the church, because the church, there was not one person in our church that, that stood by or believed what I was saying was going on in our home. Not one, even though, not one, not one. Even though there were signs of abuse, there were signs of uh, self-harming, there were signs of discord, there was not one. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to make a decision. And Let I me ask you a question. Uh, do you feel, I mean, was it immediately you felt guilty like it was your problem that this happened because no one was supporting you other than Kurt and Debbie? At first, And at first I thought that there was going to be support because scripture says, when you go to the elders and you seek help, then there's to be here. Well, the elders were told 
a very different story. And again, this is very complicated and very mm -hmm. convoluted and um, anyone can wear a mask. Sure. So I got to the point where I didn't care what anybody thought. It doesn't matter. In fact, in Galatians chapter one, verse 10, Paul is saying, am I going to be please a pleaser of man or am I going to be a pleaser of God? If I'm a pleaser of man, then I'm not a servant of God. Mm -hmm. So, so what has to go out of one's mind is pleasing people and answering to God. I will answer to Jesus, to God for every single decision made. And, and that included, if I had stayed the damage, in fact, my daughter says I wouldn't be alive today. Wow. She wouldn't be alive today. She said she would have killed herself. So I said to them, guys, are you too afraid to stay here? And they said, we want to go. So Ashley missed her junior high graduation. Austin missed his sixth grade graduation. And we left. Um, and it was it was not a lovely thing. God didn't just send in uh, butterflies yeah. and rainbows and provide an open door. There were many nights where I said, I don't know where we're going to end up, but I know he'll plan. He'll make a way. He promises to make a way. And so I had to ask for free food from a woman at Walmart. Uh, I know they're not supposed to hand out food, but I said, I've got three kids back at a hotel room and we are, we have fled and I don't, I don't have money for food for them. So she said, I think she's just an angel. She said, just take a little walk around and I'll pack you a bag. Wow. Uh, another person handed me a $5 bill at a gas station. I didn't have enough gas in my car to get back to the hotel. And I, I was very honest and said, I don't have enough gas to get back to the hotel. I just need tank of gas and someone handed me a $5 bill. Sometimes that's where God takes us to see if we're going to trust him to provide. So he's not going to part the whole entire <clears throat> Red Sea. Right. It's just the it's, next step. Yes. People listening here would probably think, well, why didn't your parents just come out and fly, fly you home right then? I hadn't told them a lot of, of what was going on. In fact, it was very shocking to continually have an to continually talk about the stories that we had heard or had been told um for years what they had heard when my children were little from the person I was married to and then what I had been told there were very different stories mm -hmm. and and believe me so I wasn't I was very far from perfect in this I didn't do everything right either <laughs> I I believed what I was told and thought, well, this is the next right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And finally, when I looked at it from an outside perspective and had two people who also did the same, they said, you have to get out. Mm. Again, this is a very, very hard thing, but I will say right now, without a doubt, pastors and elders talk to family members. Mm. Don't just talk to the pastor. Don't just talk to the pastor's wife. Talk to the children. Mm -hmm. Talk to members of the family. And do not run from something that is ugly and messy and hard. Because Jesus didn't run from what was ugly, messy, and hard. He's, he, he went to his father and met with his father so he would have the strength to make it through what was messy, ugly, and hard. Yeah, we don't. 
I've been accused by my, I have a daughter who's a marriage and family therapist and she goes, mom, you just don't like confrontation. I thought, well, yeah, I don't really like conflict with my own family, but I think, I think she's right. She can diagnose me all she wants. No one really wants to experience pain. You say in your writing that reframing ministries, which is your, your organization invites you to embrace life's challenges. I think that that's an invitation that I would like to decline and, um, you know, I'm all about the invitation because I write and speak on hospitality. But what do you mean by embracing our challenges? I just, I just, that stuck out to me. So with my good examples with my son's disabilities, hmm. um, I can fight with God and I can ask him why, and I can try and get an answer. Or I can say, Lord, you have entrusted me with three very different children and I'm entrusted for a period of time that I don't know to care, to love as you love the church and to provide as I can, as you provide and to walk in your ways. So those are two very different perspectives. Yes. Either I can say, well, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to try and change it. Now there's, there's a narrow road in there. Yeah. I'm going to pursue therapies. I'm going to pursue what's going to be best for him that I know of. I am going to research the heck out of stuff. So I know what does it mean to have this diagnosis or that diagnosis? Am I pursuing the kind of treatment protocols that are best for whatever the case may be? Because I'm entrusted. Right. God has mm-hmm. handed these children off to my care. Hey, for this. Sometimes I think about that and I go, Lord, you really did. What were you thinking? Exactly. And yet he's grown me through that because mm-hmm. I've had to walk down these paths of what do alternative therapies look like for a child who has um, genetic mutations and cannot tolerate any medication that would typically treat this, mm-hmm. this deal. I it just, Donna, uh, I, I liked, I liked what you said, but there's a narrow road. I think what you meant was and correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't just sit on the curb and wait for Jesus to return. You do the work. We've been entrusted. That's a beautiful way of saying it. We're, we've been entrusted with our brains, with our talents. It's the whole talents parable that Jesus said. You don't just sit on the curb and do nothing and just wait for God to do all the miraculous work. Yes, anything that's worthwhile is miraculous. It is still God working through us, but he tells us what to do. And the next step for you was to do all this research and do, and actually to leave your home for the sake of your family. Yep. Um, <clears throat> you wrote at some point in your life, you will need care on some level and you'll be called on to provide care for others who are suffering. This, this seems obvious. And yet why is it such a shock or an unwelcome surprise when it happens? that we suddenly need care from other, I mean, I'm married to a man from Iowa. You know, if he has a headache, I'll say, do you want to take an aspirin? I know what to do. It's like, he doesn't, he's not a touchy feely type, but there are times I have to really examine him. Where can I help him? And sometimes it's just to shut up. But, um, but you know, we're we're surprised that, uh, and it's an unwelcome, when unwelcome surprises hit us and it shouldn't be because Jesus promised that we would have trials. And yet it's always a surprise. Lord, why is this happening to me? I love what you said earlier, rather than asking why and really demand, it's really a matter of demanding from God. This needs to be different. Yeah. How dare we? How dare I 
<clears throat> demand from the one who left heaven perfect glory came to this place on earth had to walk among fallen people accused relentlessly and picked apart i'm thinking of a woodpecker picking at a tree and then died so i'm going to demand from him an answer when he already tells me you won't even understand if i could give you an answer my mm. mind is so limited it is so in a human confine it's like a book i read long ago and i don't remember the title of it but it says does the little tiny fish in its pond understand the waves of the ocean and the gravitational forces of the sun and the moon and the changing seasons does that little tiny goldfish understand how it's getting food for today mm -hmm. how the tides change but the fish cannot understand that Mm -hmm. What the fish knows is my food mm -hmm. is provided for in this pond, in this mm -hmm. place. And thankfully, I'm fed each day. So stop with the all the stuff that I'm not going to understand. That's, I think, one of the biggest distractions of the enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, I can just see God going, I wish I had made Sue a fish so she would stop worrying. <laughs> um, would, you, would you define reframing? And, so and, and let me add to that. You are fuel, fueled by the joy of helping others. I think when we're so beaten down, we don't feel that fuel. It comes a little bit later as we progress. But back to my first question, define reframing. So reframing really was used by in the psychological world, but you said your daughter's a psychologist, so she mm -hmm. would understand that very well. Basically, in cognitive behavioral therapy, it is mm -hmm. choosing to look at life through a different lens. It would be very similar to taking my glasses and then taking binoculars. I can have a myopic view of the world and pick it apart, or I can open the camera lens to get to get a wide picture. So I'm not going to put God into my binocular view. Mm. I'm going to say, Lord, you're bigger. You are greater than what I can see at this moment in time. So I'm going to trust you now in this moment to show me what to do next, uh, what, what phone call I need to make, what doctor appointment should I pursue? And wherever you have me, I want you to shine through me. Here's a great example. In December of 2019, so I've had a lot of surgeries. I had 10 surgeries in nine or 10 years, I think. Was it from, Between, cheerle was it from cheerleading? No, you're off oh, the hook. I'm honey. so relieved. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. No. It was from that free spirit that I have, but I was in a car accident in 2010 that crushed half of my face and had to have that reconstructed and then had several accidents after that and learned that I have a spine that just is very not right. Mm -hmm. And so my mom, my sister, and I have all had back surgeries. So 2015, I had my first 360 back surgery, which they open you up in the front and the back, take out all of your guts and take out everything. And then they, they like pin you and screw you together because all the... Um, vertebrae were sitting on each other. So that was in 2015. Well, in 2019, I started having very massive migraines. Thankfully, my my right hand partner in crime, Tiffany, is sitting right here. Uh, she'd just come on about six months earlier. I said, I've got, I'm having more of these migraines. I don't know what's wrong. I have several autoimmune disorders of the spine. Uh, so I went to the spine doctor and he said, you have to have a full five level neck surgery. 
um, your neck is basically caving in on itself. Oh dear. And I was shocked. Like I, I left the building sobbing because first I know the pain of back surgery is beyond childbirth, having had mm -hmm. both now, um, without I mean, childbirth, without medication, medication in neck surgery still is nerve pain. I can't even explain the kind of pain it is. So when I was told I'm going to have an extensive neck surgery that ended up being eight and a half hours long, he said, in my 38 years, I've never had a neck so bad. Dear. First of all, I didn't even know it was that bad. Hmm. Nor did I know that God would provide a surgeon who knew how to repair that neck that was so bad. So let's speak into that for a moment. Wherever hmm. people are, wherever you are, whoever is watching or listening, God knows your physical body. He knows your emotions. He knows your spirit. He knows your soul. And he will supply the person or persons that you need at the appointed time. And that doctor happened to step in when my other back doctor wasn't available mm -hmm. and did a neck surgery. And so I wore a brace for the next year. I wasn't expecting to be on my back for that long, but God had brought someone in to help move the ministry forward. When mm -hmm. I was on my back, actually, she had to sit beside my bed because I'm not a good patient at all. I know that's shocking, but that's I, so shocking. I, it's shocking. I'm like, of course I can drive. Of course yeah. I can get up and move around and take yeah. care of my son with disabilities. Of course, with this big old neck thing on and the yeah. physical therapy nurse showed up. She's like, do not take off your neck collar. Don't move. <laughs> so um, back to the question of how do we, how do we sit with our own need? I think sometimes God doesn't even give us a question. Like, are you going to welcome this help? He puts you flat on your back and says, mm -hmm. now it's time to learn how to receive, which is so incredibly humbling. Mm -hmm. It was, it's, it's very humbling to have your mm -hmm. husband have to wipe your bottom after you've gone to the bathroom after back surgery, but that's where we landed. Mm -hmm. And now when I care for my son and I need to wipe his bottom, that's just a part of life, Sue. And that's mm -hmm. a, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. where we end up. Uh, you say that the church doesn't prefer a mess. You've sort of, uh, talked to that already. Um, have you talked that over with your dad? Oh, yeah. Um, what did he say? It's one that, so I will say in his 50 plus years of ministry, he, he's also evolved as a person as mm -hmm. God has refined and changed him through my sister mm -hmm. and I both going through very hard divorces. He preaches on marriage and, and family very differently now than he did 30 years ago. And he readily admits that mm -hmm. our family personally has gone through some huge transformative seasons mm -hmm. of addressing hard unhealthy stuff and having to walk through those with counselors so we personally have done the messy work mm -hmm. and do we prefer that no i'd rather a day at disneyland but yeah, god doesn't say that Disneyland's going to make you just, I mean, it's the happiest place on earth. If you have a million bucks, yeah. probably right. The reality is that's not, that's not where we all live. So a mess is where we find ourselves and we don't know how to move forward. And all of our thoughts or plans haven't worked out and we don't know how we're going to get out of the muck and mire of it all. So how does my dad look at that? Uh, he's continuing to be refined. His days now are some of the hardest that he's ever lived through, but he's not running from them. He's welcoming help. 
Mm -hmm. He has people who help drive. He has people who come in and provide meals. A lot of this too is about being humble to receive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Saying, I my, mo my mother did tell me I had the gift of receiving. She said, <laughs> she said, Sue uh, uh, believes in the verse, ask and you shall receive, but that's because I was spoiled by my father. That's what she was joking about. But uh -huh. yeah, I get what you mean. It takes a lot of humility if you've been used to being in control. Yes. Used to being in charge and bless your uh, dad's heart because he is caring for your mom. You, you mentioned that before we started recording. Recording. And I think it's such um, I think it's such good news for the world to know that the Swindolls are still evolving <laughs> because, yeah. you know, we look at people. I know. I know. You know that. But and and people think I'm special for some reason. And then I, you know, I blow my nose on on a recording. And they realize I'm just normal. But um, they need to know that because Jesus came for the normal person. Now, I love what you said here, and I'll probably put it on a quote image. But I know of someone who needs to hear this, but I want to hear how you answer it. You said, when we find ourselves in a situation, where we don't know um, what we're going to do next. What would you, what advice or counsel could you offer them? They're saying, yes, that's me. And then you started talking about your dad, but I want, which I loved, but I want you to say, what kind of counsel can you offer them if they found themselves in a situation and they feel stuck in that situation? What is the next best step? One is to acknowledge, mm. Lord, I don't know what to do. So true. I need you to, to direct me for the next right decision. That could be the next or the next minute. Yes. So maybe it's, I need to just rub my son's feet because he's so anxious. And mm. I'm going to do that and help him calm and help his body calm. Because I don't want the, the, uh, neurological, the alpha and the beta waves of his brain to go so high that it goes into a seizure. Mm -hmm. So that's the next right thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not real popular. That's not real <clears throat> flamboyant and out there. That's it's just not the flashy. Right. It's not flashy. It's service. Sometimes it's um, saying, yes, I would love for you as Tiffany did so many mornings, early, early in the morning to drive me to take John to his appointment at 6 a.m., because I'm probably not the safest driver, even though I thought I would be rather safe. I'm not maybe the safest <laughs> driver to get us to his treatment that started at seven in Dallas. Oh. So I will receive that care and that help and not feel guilty, even though it was very hard for me to not feel guilty. Mm -hmm. um, and when I can help back, if the Lord allows, if the Lord provides some funds for us and I can give that back, then that's great. Mm -hmm. But it's to serve without expectation mm -hmm. and to receive without expectation. Um, the, so the next right thing, that's if I'm stuck in a mess, back to your question. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm just stuck, it's to say, Lord, um, I don't know what you want me to do right now. And a lot of times that means he's saying, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to be in my presence. I want you to open my word, likely the Psalms, because that's yes. the, such emotion and truth combined. I want you to sing and worship me because singing and worshiping does things in us neurobiologically and chemically and emotionally and spiritually. Mm -hmm. So I will turn on praise worship music. 
remind myself of the ways that he's worked in the past, which we talk about in Deuteronomy, and remember the ways that he has led us. Remind myself of the truth. Um, don't numb out, like just flip on the TV. Although there's plenty of moments when I turn on Family Feud and I think Steve Harvey's hilarious. And I think the questions are crazy. And and that just gets us through the, the next right thing. Right. Yes. Well, I think that is all good. Um, as far as your legacy, you know, this is a legacy podcast. What do you want to make sure that you pass down to those who know and love you? What do I want to make sure that I pass down? I wrote some things down. Good. Because legacy means something passed on. What I want to pass down, see, it would have been a very different answer 30 years ago with my yeah. kids. Yes. Thankfully, it's not the answer of have verses written on the cards and review them every day and make sure you have your summer schedule because I had so much of that and it was all good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was absent of me on the floor. with. So what I want to pass down is the importance of self-reflection. Hmm. I want to pass down welcoming um listening to what my kids need and what my loved ones need, not what I think they need to say, I like my daughter, she's going into labor tonight. And to say, where do you need me to be? Where do you want me to be? Cause I only want to be where you want me to be, not where I want to be. It's about what they need. So mm -hmm. loving them means loving them as they need to be loved. And that means I need to ask them how to love them well. Mm -hmm. So to be humble and say, yeah, I was going to say, that's scary for some people. They don't even want to ask their husband, how can I love you better? <clears throat> how can oh, I, love I don't you think better? there's any other way to, to know. Mm -hmm. Like how, mm -hmm. and, and I look at it as he's telling, and I learned this in therapy. I need my husband to tell me about him. He's not criticizing me by saying, you're not loving me well. He's saying, I don't feel loved. Well, that's the last thing I want. Mm -hmm. So I want my husband to say, this is how I feel loved. And then I'm going to do those things and listen, because if I don't do that, I'm not loving them well. Right. Okay. That's part of the legacy is my three kids created very differently, very uniquely by God, woven together in my womb, created with a purpose. How can I love and care for them so they can be used by God in their lives so they can know themselves well and be grounded in who they are, not who I want them to be? I don't want my kid to play football because I want him to play football. I want him to play football because he wants to play football. If he wants to play the clarinet, play the clarinet. If he wants to be an artist, be an artist. But how I do, need them to tell me that. How do you, uh, in asking these questions, how do you direct your kids' eyes on the Lord? I think they watch how I direct my eyes on the Lord. So go. it's not in my word. Mm -hmm. I think I have to live that out. My son said to me a couple of years ago, mom, I'm hearing a lot of self-deprecation and things that you're saying, like it's done in humor, but I'm, I'm because he does all my interviews. So I can't get away with a thing and whatever he didn't listen to when he was growing up, he's getting to hear now. Anyway, there we go. So, there you go. <laughs> um, so he said, I think this book would be great for you to read. So I said, sure, bring it on. I read it. Kurt Thompson, who knew? Brilliant writer, The Soul of Shame. And he hit so many points. And so I'm learning from my kids. How do I direct my kids' attention to the Lord is for them to know that I listen to them because the Lord listens to us, mm -hmm. is to know that I forgive them because the Lord forgives me. 
How can I be anything but what the Lord has done for me and is to me? I want to show them that through how I behave. That's passing it on. It's living life together in a place of we're all, we're all kind of, we're all a little bit crazy around here and we all are going to be okay with that because we're in process. And I think that being a parent, because I speak to a lot of moms groups, I and I want to reassure them, <laughs> actually, that it gets harder and more challenging as the kids get older, but uh, that you really can't get away with being a hypocrite in your own home because they call yeah. you out on it. And they start calling you out on it maybe when they're nine, and you really can't get away with it. And so why bother trying? But you know, we always want to put our best foot forward, and we want to say to our kids, do what I say, not what I do. And yet what you're talking about is a legacy of, of, of vulnerability. And you, we mo we teach best by modeling best. And so uh, were there any obstacles or challenges that you needed to overcome to be that kind of a transfer? Myself, my pride. Ah. And I didn't even see it. Uh, I needed yeah. to, I mean, my son, my youngest, well, first of all, my daughter said, mom, that I knew you started, um, hearing me when you stop talking we were by a fireplace and she was in junior high and um rebelling against the dichotomy of the home and the whole the whole hypocrisy that was behind closed doors and she said when you just finally listened and leaned in mm. to hear what my life was like not what you <clears> wanted <throat> it to be like but just was quiet you asked about my friends you asked about um, you asked about what I was thinking and what I, and it, it was very different, Sue. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't all like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. it was out there, mm -hmm. but that's where she was. And she needed someone to listen to her and to know that without a doubt, I wouldn't leave her side. And I was not going to rebuke her. I was going to love her through this season. Um, I'm saying I'm going to encourage sinful behavior, but I'm also going to be loving and gracious to where she was at that time. Mm -hmm. And then with my youngest, when he was so sick, the fact that he's vulnerable, um, I have to help him with the bathroom. I need to help him with showering at times. Right? I'm be naked in front of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They don't want me to be. Bottom line is that vulnerability. He's stripped down to nothing and yet completely vulnerable, mm -hmm. which is what we are before God. Um, Absolutely. Abs yeah. There, there's no hiding. And how does your life uh, embody God's welcoming heart? You think? How does my life embody God's welcoming heart? I think it's how, how do I treat others that he puts in my care? Mm. He's given me a son that that is just now, right now, as we speak, announcing that he's pooped. Hooray for poop in our house. <laughs> I want to, Tiffany and I have decided that we want to make shirts that say, my son pooped today. What great things, what superhero yeah. yeah. as your son or daughter yeah. done today? What's your, what's your weekly win, as they say? Yeah. Uh, work, daily win is a poop. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how to, we don't pretend around our house. We are who we are. My kids say what they think and they know that they are loved and cared for. It is not a perfect family. It is not a, and I don't even know what that looks like. I think no. that that's such an image. 
Yeah. To me, that's like an Oscar award. It's a it's a statue that goes on a shelf. Well, Colleen, I just want to encourage you to continue your storytelling because that's what will draw people to God. And that's embodying God's welcoming heart because our lives are what draw people to God or not. And we're not totally responsible for their response to his invitation. But I know that you and I both want to live lives that are an invitation to God for to people leaning into God in their suffering rather than running away or being angry and becoming bitter. A good friend of mine said, you can either become better or bitter, Sue. At the time, I think I was mad at my husband. And um, you either become better or bitter. And the best way to become bitter better is just to lean in and say, God, I need help right now, which is what you've been doing. I have a question about your uh, last question about your ministry. You, you are really a caregiver for caregivers. What kind of care giving do you provide through reframing reframing ministries well for and i was just talking with tiffany about this as well my uh, partner crap as i call her it's changing as time changes so before it was writing a lot of blog posts and putting a lot of written material out caregivers don't have a lot of bandwidth so mm -hmm. we do a weekly facebook uh live we do a once a month mm -hmm. coffee and connect with colleen for caregivers um it's getting a voice into the home and however we can. And for the last two years, the Lord has set uh, set me aside in some ways to care for my own son, to teach me some things which have prepared my heart to step into a new season, which he'll open that door when it's time, but a season of how do I really care for the needs of people who are stuck, who are uh longing for direction. And I, so how do I care for caregivers? One is to be a learner and to be learning in this season, Lord, what is it like to receive <clears throat> care? How do I care best for my son whose needs are ongoing and continue to do ministry work? What does that look like? So through writing, through speaking, through doing podcasts, through interviewing, through talking with people who've gone through things or are going through things that I haven't gone through because someone with cancer will speak better into someone's life who has cancer because I haven't had cancer yet. Mm -hmm. Lord willing, I won't. But it's to, it's to connect with other people who can speak into someone's life because okay. uh, their wisdom is is needed in someone's life is to network with wise people. Okay. So if people would come to your uh, ministry page, Reframing Ministries, they would find this kind of help. That's my question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They find interviews. They find uh, a lot of things on YouTube, on social media. They'll find posts during the week that are uh, just a bite-sizing piece of encouragement to think on, to reflect on the books that we have that, that I've written. Um, I definitely want to get back into doing more writing. Time just hasn't allowed that in this particular season. Um, but yeah, articles and and just more than anything, it's the it's the interviews I think on YouTube and on our podcast that provide bits of hope for people in various seasons, all different kinds of seasons. One gal that I am thinking of was in a car accident. Her daughter went from being in college to being back to an infant. Aww. How do you raise a college-age daughter <clears throat> who has cycles and is mature and isn't an infant because of her brain damage? Hmm. What do you do with that? Hmm. What do you do with a kid who's um, 
getting out the knives at night, attacking the family because they have either a brain tumor or a traumatic brain injury. What do you do, Sue? I mean, those are not things that God says, oh, by the way, when your kid pulls a knife on you, here's what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he has an answer by, by going to him first in his presence. And that's where I go to second Corinthians one from the comfort that you have received, then you are allowed to give comfort to others. So when we sit with Jesus, Lord, I don't know what to do with this right now. I don't know what to do with my son or daughter, but I know that you're with me in this, that David in Psalm 13 says, how long, oh Lord, how long are you going to allow this to happen? And David transitions in the middle of that Psalm, which is six verses long from a plea to worship. Hmm. And a lot of times that's where the Lord has to take me from a plea for help to, but Lord, I'm going to worship you in this season. And I'm going to direct my thoughts and my heart towards you. Even though I don't know what to do, I'm going to be here and allow you to be with me in this moment. I know um, audience that you would not listen to a thing Colleen would say unless she had suffered herself. So I appreciate you being so vulnerable today. On our interview, you offer a five-day patio video devotional series. Um, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll put the link in the show notes. It is a five-day, a uh, few minutes each morning where we send mm -hmm. out a video, and it's on just walking through difficult times. And mm -hmm. we touch on various subjects. Uh, my husband's involved in one of those interviews, and it was it was just a lot of fun to make. I know that. For sure. But it's an invitation to be vulnerable. It's an invitation to say, here's where I have felt helpless. Here's where I have uh, experienced pain and questions. And also, here's how you can add humor into your life every day, because there's not a day in this world that we do not laugh very loudly around here. And I, I truly will tell you that we laugh a lot. Mm, wonderful. Well, this has been so much fun to reconnect now that we're mature adults. Just kidding. We're adults anyway. And uh, I appreciate your time, Colleen. I know it'll be a huge blessing to my listeners. And where can everybody find you? Framingministries.com is the address. Just look that up. You can okay. find at Colleen Swindoll on social media, Colleen Swindoll or Reframing Ministries on most social media pages, um, on Spotify, on YouTube. I'm sorry, on a iTunes, we have the Reframing Ministries podcast that goes out okay. once a month. Great. Wonderful. There you have it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.